Father, as we turn to your word this morning, help us to hear it afresh. Help our hearts and minds to be open to learn, to receive your truth, and to let it make an impact in our lives. Lord, help us to be more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. I invite you to be seated. You can just keep that open there because that is where we will be. I don't know about you, but when I sign up for something and they want me to read the agreement, I don't hardly ever read the agreement. I just scroll down and check the box and get my thing. Um, I'm assuming most of you, if not all of you, are the same. There's an interesting study done. In 2017, they sent an agreement out, and they checked to see specifically how many people checked the box and didn't read it, how many people said they read it and checked the box. 91% of those who responded and checked the box did not read the agreement. 9% said they did and at least went through it. However, they still checked the box despite the fact that within the agreement it said the following. The airspace over your home is now open to any drones who would like to fly over it, commercial or military. Not just that. There was what was called a firstborn clause. You agreed to give your firstborn to the company as payment for the product. There was also a clause that said, any information we have on you now or in the future, we can supply to the NSA as we choose. It was loaded with stuff. And those 9% that said they read it still checked the box. Did not read very closely. The fine print. There's reasons we don't read it. As part of another survey, they found that the average agreement for technology products would take the average person 40 minutes to read through. Um, and some people just responded, look, I don't really care what it says. I want the product. I'm going to sign it anyway. Why should I go through the hassle? And yet, the fine print can be really important, especially if there's a firstborn clause. I want to talk about the fine print of Christianity. We're in a series for Epiphany where we're talking about learning things about who Jesus is and how that knowledge should impact us if we are his followers. If he values certain things, if he believes certain ways, we should, as his followers, be adopting those same things. Today, we want to see something about what Jesus believes, and it's found in the fine print of Scripture. Go ahead and take a look at Matthew chapter 5. If you're on 1378, just flip back one page, because I do want to get the first two verses in there of chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1.
Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And I want you to hear this before we get into what he teaches. You see, he has been going throughout the countryside of Galilee. He's been going to synagogues. And what we know, at least as a summary, is he's been preaching this. The kingdom of God is here. Repent. Right? God's kingdom is coming right here within me. And because that is here, you need to turn your life around. Wherever you're going, whatever direction you're going, you need to move the direction of the kingdom. That's what he's been preaching. And all we have is a summary up to this point. At this point, he's gone through the villages, he's preached in the synagogues. Now he sees a crowd because he's an exceptional teacher that people go, he has such authority. Now there's this big crowd. So he goes up on a mountain, he sits down, and he begins to teach. Sitting was the place that a rabbi, that's what a rabbi would do during this time. They would be the ones sitting. I know today in a classroom, the teacher is standing and everybody else is sitting. But here the rabbi sits, and it's a place of authority. And he begins to teach them. And we have the longest extended sermon from Jesus. Right? And this is how he begins it. He said, blessed. That's a great way to begin. <laughs> Anybody in here not want to be blessed? <laughs> not want to be blessed? I mean, we use that language. We will say somebody is blessed. Now, typically when we say that, we are referring to things like something good happened in your life. You have amazing kids. You're blessed. Wow, you got that job. You are blessed. That's usually what we mean. Something good has happened, and we're saying you are blessed. Here he begins it, and he says blessed, and this is the idea of the word. You'll sometimes see a translation that says happy. Happy are those. And that is okay. But it misses something of this Greek word. This word is like saying, it's as if Jesus goes, I have wonderful news for you. The word could, I mean, you could substitute wonderful news for all the poor in spirit. Wonderful news for all those who mourn. That's what he's saying. There is something wonderful for you. Now, if you take it that way, I'm not sure we use blessed very often in that sense. Um, I mean, we all read this together, and you get down to the bottom one. Blessed are you when people insult, persecute, and falsely say all kinds of evil about you. How many times has a friend come to you and been complain, complaining about how awful somebody's been to them, and you go, you are blessed? you ever done that? <laughs> no. We're like, oh, what a jerk. And we want to figure out how to help them. And here's Jesus. Wonderful news. I want you to try that sometime. The next time they come to you, they go, wonderful news. And just see what happens. If it's a spouse, you might not want to do that. <laughs> what is Jesus doing with this? Wonderful news. Now, I'm going to skip the second half of each verse 
And I just want to quickly scan through. I cannot tell you what every one of these means in detail because they could literally preach a sermon on every beatitude. So we're going to quickly highlight wonderful news for the poor in spirit. Those who know they are dependent. Those who know they need to be humble. Those who don't think they stand above anybody else. They're poor in spirit. Wonderful news for those who mourn. Those who are willing to go through the tragedy. Those who can look at their own sinfulness and feel sorrow. And actually go ahead and mourn. Wonderful news for the meek. Those who do not have to exert their will over others, but know who they are and are comfortable in their own skin. Wonderful news for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who want the righteousness of God so badly that it's as if they are starving or they just, they need, they're dehydrated and they want it. Wonderful news for them. Wonderful news for the merciful. Those who seek the good of others, even when those others don't deserve it or have done nothing to earn it from you. But you are seeking their good anyway. Wonderful news for the pure in heart. And this is not necessarily a moral statement like we think of purity. This is more of singleness. An undivided heart. Wonderful news for you. Wonderful news for the peacemakers. Uh, That one is basically what it sounds like. It's those who seek and who do what is necessary to bring peace. And then the last one. (laughs) Wonderful news. When you are insulted and persecuted and taken advantage of and beat up and all those things because of Jesus. And that may simply be not because you're wearing a Jesus shirt and you're standing on the corner with a bullhorn shouting out salvation. But it is because you are living in such a way that you represent him. Because you're living like him. Wonderful news for all of you. Now, again, that probably doesn't sound like wonderful news for the most part. Okay, in one way, I think we understand it. Many of those qualities we would respect in the right context, when you think of peacemakers and you think of meekness and you think of humility, and those are good qualities. I don't know if you remember, a couple of years ago, Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter accident. Right? Very, very famous NBA player. Very wealthy. Starred in movies. I mean, he had it all. What some people don't know is he was a very devout Catholic. And on the morning of the accident, he had actually gone to Mass. The other thing people don't often know about him is this priest said this about him. He would come to Mass late on purpose. And he would sit in the back. And he would leave before everybody else most of the time. Why do you think that is? Because he's Kobe Bryant. And if Kobe Bryant walked into this church right now, besides the fact that he had been risen from the dead, how much distraction would he cause? He did it, according to his priest, to keep 
people from being drawn to him so they could be drawn to God. That is humble. That is meek. And how many of you aren't going, that's pretty cool. There's a way in which we see these qualities and we go, yes, we understand. And yet, here's the other side of it. How often do people who express these kinds of qualities get trampled on? How often do these people not get the promotions? I mean, think about our heroes. They are often those who go take. It's about strength. It's about overcoming. Those are often the kinds of things that we hold up. And yet what we have here is people who are mourning. People who admit they are dependent. People who are being persecuted. This is not exactly what we tend to think of as wonderful news. So what is it that Jesus is getting at? And it's the second half, which is also the fine print. The second half of each one of these things. And this is kind of what it should be like for us if we're really taking this seriously. A couple of years ago, when we still lived in Frisco, we went to a main event, big place where they have bowling and video games and all kinds of things. And we went there because we needed to pick up some tickets. The church the following day was going. So we pulled up. It was nighttime. We parked. I had the kids in the car. Erin got out and she went to get the tickets. While she was in the building, I'm sitting in the car. Again, it's nighttime. It's dark. And I see these two girls. And they're walking kind of toward our van. They are somewhere between like, you know, 14 and 16 or something like that. They're coming toward our van. And as I'm watching them, I realize, no, they are really coming toward our van. Like not just moving toward some other car. They're like coming right at our van. In fact, one of them, when they get to the front part of the van, one of them goes around to my side. I guess she must have been 16. The other one goes around to this side. The one that gets to my side, I look over and she gets to the window. She kind of reaches out for the handle and then she looks and she sees me. And she goes, at which point I hear the door open from the other side. I look over there. The other girl, she opens up the door. She puts a foot inside the van. She looks around. All my kids are in there. And she goes, oh, and she jumps out and slams the door. And then both of them just take off. That was not what they were expecting. Now, here's what I think they were expecting. A white Honda Odyssey van. That's what they were looking for, right? That's what they were expecting. It was just the wrong one. (laughs) It was not at all what they imagined. If these beatitudes don't strike us a little bit like that, we are not getting the fullness of what he's saying. Why would any of this stuff be wonderful news? Here's why. Back in the text, verse 3. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, for they will be comforted. Verse 5, for they will inherit the earth. Verse 6, for they will be filled. Verse 7, for they will be shown mercy. Verse 8, for they will see God. Verse 9, for they will be called children of God. Verse 10, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because... There is a future promise made 
to all of them. And here's how I want to put it in, the, in, the, in terms of the context of the life of Jesus. And this is what I want you to hear. This is the fine print. Jesus believed so strongly in the future reality of the kingdom, of eternity, that it actually impacted how he lived in the present. It allowed him to see the present differently. And for him, it wasn't just a generic, like, this thing is going to happen. There were very specific things that Jesus firmly, 100% believed were going to take place. So much so that he could bet the present on it. You can think of his teachings. He had lots of future teachings. He had things like, don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the body and the soul. Now, do you understand the fullness of what that is? Don't be afraid to die right now. Because there's an eternity. How much does it take to actually not be afraid to die now because of the eternity? I mean, any of you, I, you don't have to raise your hand, but are afraid of death? I mean, it, he believed so strongly in the future that it impacted his presence. Do you remember the sheep and the goats? Like, these guys over here, they did certain things for me. These guys over here did not. I want you to be like those guys. Why? Because this moment's actually coming. Like, there will be a separation of the sheep and goats. Jesus very firmly believed there was a reality coming. The reality is, he says here, you might mourn now, but if you're mourning for the right reasons and you actually go through that mourning, you're the one that's going to find comfort. We've read this passage, we read it last week. We read it multiple times throughout the year in the lectionary because it comes in two different places in the scriptures, one in Isaiah and one in Revelation. He will wipe away the tear from every eye. For Jesus, that was a reality. That was actually going to happen. And what it meant is not that I go look for tragedy. It's not that I go put myself in a position simply to be hurt so I can mourn and therefore I'll be comforted. What it means is when I'm in those moments when I need to mourn, when I need to be meek, when I need to be dependent, when I'm being persecuted, I can go, Lord, I know comfort is coming. So I can, I can go through this. Lord, I know I'm being persecuted now, but the kingdom is coming. And I can rejoice that this is happening now because of that. He firmly believed it. Now, I want you to think about we all at times live now in light of a future. Right? Things like this. There might have been a point in your life where you really, really wanted to get, say, a promotion at work. And you worked your tail off. And you did things you didn't necessarily want to do. Why? Because of what was coming. You might have done it in sports. You might have done it in music. You worked really, really, really hard because you knew the event was coming. And even though you hated it at the time, you put in whatever it took because you wanted to win in the future. We do it every year with vacation. We look forward to going to Colorado in the summer. And no matter how bad things are, there comes a point 
somewhere around like March, April, where Aaron and I start going, but Colorado's coming. <laughs> Things may be tough right now, but Colorado's coming. Like we use the future to help us in the present. So we know what it's like. Here's the difference. The futures we write for ourselves are never certain. And yet we still rely on them. The future he writes for us is absolutely certain. It's just harder to grasp. It's further away. It's more difficult and less tangible, even though it is more real. Here's the fine print. You chose to follow Jesus. You checked the box. You signed on the dotted line. In the agreement, it said this. The ultimate blessing is future. You will know some blessing now. You're going to know happiness. You're going to know a good relationship. You're going to know a wonderful job opportunity that came up. You're going to win something over here. You might know the morning when you just are sitting by yourself and the sun is coming up and you go, that is beautiful. You know the moment when your son is at the top of the stairs and he goes, dad, dad. And you're like, it melts your heart. There's lots of joy and lots of happiness. And yet, there's a ton of pain and darkness and things that don't go our way. We should not deny those things. We should not just pretend they're not there. What we should do is say Jesus was so believing in the future that God promised that it let him go through things in the present in a different way. That's what we have the opportunity for. If we will believe the same thing. I read a cool story about fine print. There was an organization that put out this survey with all these agreement things, and, and there was one line within it, and it said this, the first person to read this and write to us will get $10,000. And a high school teacher in Georgia was the first one to do it. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty cool, you know? Sometimes things do work out. <laughs> but she wrote to them, and she got a $10,000 check <laughs> for reading the fine print <laughs> and being one of the only ones, or at least the first one who did. <laughs> um, the fine print means something. And it means something in Christianity. We have an opportunity to live differently if we will believe as Jesus believed. And I mean, again, just can we really take this to heart? Because that future is more certain than any future we set up for ourselves. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the certainty of our future. This life can be really challenging. I think every one of us I can't imagine we don't go through even a week without struggles, without things happening that are hard or that we don't like or that make us very upset. Lord, help us to take those Beatitudes seriously. 
the character, the attitude, the approach to life, but also to take the rewards seriously. And Lord, in faith, I pray now for our congregation that the future can change our present in real and tangible ways, even as it did for our Savior. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.